1: was blind, but now I see.
0: Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. <clears throat> I'm Ray Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. Moses at the burning bush is such a dramatic example of what God needs to do to turn a man's heart to his work. This man at the age of 40 had been fully educated in the schools of Egypt. He was a powerful man, a warrior, trained in science and math. He was skilled in leadership He said, no, he did not want to become the Pharaoh. He decided instead he wanted to cast his lot with the God of heaven. And so going out to see his people, he tried to instigate a rebellion, a revolution, and it miserably failed. And he was sent running, running to Moab, and there to become a shepherd. Now, this man was 40 years old when all of this happened. But it was not until 40 years later that he came to the burning bush. Now, the wisdom of all of the Egyptians was foolishness with God. The colleges of this world, the universities of this world, cannot equip a person for divine service. That's something that must be learned in the school of the Holy Spirit. I remember when I was just out of seminary, taking my first church districts. I was so ambitious and so filled with all that I wanted to do and accomplish. I became an accomplished speaker at conferences a workshop leader, pastor. I thought the world was all mine. And it was for some years. And then God said, that's enough, Ray. And he sent me off to the school of the Holy Spirit. Now, to learn in the school of God... You have to turn your back on the land of Pharaoh. The heart must be separated. The spirit must be divorced from the world. You cannot make progress with Jesus and fill your heart with the wicked things of this world. You have to be separated from the television, from the movies, from the... Professional sports. Oh, pastor, there's nothing wrong with some of this. Well, maybe not, but I can tell you now, you're going to have to be separated from this Egyptian philosophy. You're going to have to be separated out to the Holy Spirit. You see, the hand of man can never mold a vessel for our master's use the one who is to use the vessel must also prepare it. So Moses kept the flocks of Jethro, and he went to the backside of the desert, from Egypt to the backside of the desert, from the palace to the sheepfold. It was a radical change. It was an incredible adjustment for Moses Now, I want to talk a moment about the backside of the desert. This is where men and things, the world and self, your circumstances, your influence, on the backside of the mountain, they're all valued for what they are. I remember one of our brothers said, I am finished with Fantasia. I don't want any more make-believe. People looked at him like, what are you talking about? Well, he was at the backside of the mountain. He'd been put in a situation with his work, with his family, where he could no longer afford any of the foolishness of the world. He couldn't afford the foolishness of even the church. You see, when you go to the back side of the mountain, there's no longer any pretense. There's no longer any make-believe. There's no longer saying, I'm going to be great. I'm going to be somebody. All I have to do is work harder and longer, and I'm going to make it. That's fantasia stuff. It's not not what you learn on the back side of the mountain. On the back side of the mountain... No longer do you hear the din and the noise and the confusion of the world. You're no longer concerned with the crash of the the dollar. The commercial world is not heard there. There's no sigh of ambition in the heart. There's no longer a thirst for gold or silver. The eye is not dimmed with lust. The heart is not swollen with pride. Human applause no longer has any effect on you. You're not elated by people's approval and you're not depressed when they censure your actions or your beliefs or your words. Everything is set in your heart in the backside of the mountain. Everything is set in your heart in the presence of God. Now, I'm not pretending that it's easy. It's not. Remember the story of Reese Howell. He was told that he must give his mission to someone else and he must withdraw. And everyone would say, He saw his ministry as a failure, and now he's gone off to sulk. Everyone would say, What's he doing? And then the Lord had him stop cutting his hair for an intercession and stop shaving his beard. And soon he looked like John the Baptist. At first... He was utterly ashamed. He was embarrassed. But finally the day came when he could walk down the street and people no longer had any influence over how he felt. Instead, he began to influence others as they would say, drawing back, there is a holy man of God. Well, this is what happens on the backside of the mountain. You withdraw your sense of worth or value from other human persons. And you begin to commune with the living God because in the stillness, that's all there is. It is only God. Now please also know that God is not in a hurry with a man on the back side of the mountain. I know from experience. I know from current experience that God is not in a hurry. Others may censure and criticize and condemn, but after a period of time, all that matters to you is the approval of Almighty God. No one else's approval or censure has any effect on you. Not to say that you don't care deeply for other people. I've made mistakes, and those mistakes I've grieved deeply over and have repented of as I have gone through this deep valley of the shadow of death, the backside of the mountain now, for many years. It's okay. I no longer need to be successful. I no longer need to have the approval of others. I need the approval of Almighty God. And so my heart goes out. I talked with someone this morning. They came to my door. A person who is very smart, way beyond the capacity of most people. But this person has not spent time yet in the desert. They've not been on the backside of the mountain. And so their words and actions reflect their own desires, not the desires of the Holy Spirit. It's the custom today to take a new convert and quickly move them into ministry. I've heard pastors say you have to immediately get a new person involved in ministry or they'll leave. I don't believe that. A new person will have a great downfall if they quickly go into ministry. They need to have time to sit back and not be heard, not be in leadership. They need to have time to season in the presence of God They should not be praised, honored. That will be destructive for them. Instead, they need to quietly confess Jesus and begin to learn what it means to be in his presence and humble their hearts before him. So we've done a great disservice and we've ruined many new Christians by allowing them to be filled with pride, arrogance. See, God is not in a hurry. I know it's so easy when God puts us on that back shelf to become extremely impatient with God. And then God has to put us back in the fire and then once more set us on the shelf so we can cool down, so he can speak with us, so that he can handle us. Many of you today understand what I'm talking about. You have lived much on the back shelf, and you've wondered, will my life ever be of any value to God? Will my service ever be of any value? There are others of you who have never been on the back place of the of the mountain of the desert. And you're always out there filled with your own knowledge and with your own suggestions and with your own ideas. And you can make things work. Just give you a chance and you'll show me what you can do. No, we need to sit on that back bench. We need to humble our hearts. We need to be much alone with the God of heaven. That is the first requisite for any man or woman who wishes to serve the Almighty God, who would like to be of use to the Almighty God in the work of saving the souls of lost men and women. Now, it's of interest to me that as Moses is sent off into this desert place where he will herd a small herd of sheep that aren't even his own. For 40 years, he will own nothing. Now, it's interesting to me that we know almost nothing about what happened to him in that desert journey. God's dealings with Moses are not revealed to us in the scriptures. Now, it's also of note that the Apostle Paul went through the same thing and we don't know much about what happened to the Apostle Paul. God's dealing is with each person independently, and he must bring to bear the pressures. He must bring to bear the discipline. He must bring to bear the love and the affirmation. He must bring all that is necessary to that one individual because we are all different. So one man may spend 40 years in the wilderness and another man will be used for something very different. He may spend only five years. But it is a given that every person who is used by God will have to go through a desert journey And in that desert journey, we must make decisions about whether we will rebel against the word of the living God to our heart or whether we will obey that word. All of us who are going to be used by the Almighty will have spent our time in the desert. Now, one new Christian said to me, how is that possible? That's not the way of God. God wants us to come forward and immediately begin to soul win, immediately go out and win other people to Jesus. I've watched as some have tried to do that and utterly failed, finally give up on the whole operation of trying to win others to Jesus, And turn their direction away from the kingdom of God and become filled with their own ideas and their own flesh and their own wisdom. And for those, all I can do is pray that God will have mercy and turn their hearts back, that they would humble their hearts before Almighty God, that they could be used for eternity. You see, we're not in this for the short range. We're in it for the long haul. The Lord has said to me, If you will submit to my way, if you will wait upon me, I can do more in one day than you could do in your flesh in your whole lifetime. I know that's true. And the cry of my heart is to be useful to my Lord. And right now, I'm being useful to him by waiting upon him. And he's carrying me. And I'm resting in him. These are three vital, vital, important things we must learn. How to wait on God. How to let God carry us. And how to rest in him. (laughs) how to stop our own labor and rest in him. We must learn that we must be utterly and totally dependent upon God. No, I know how many times I've led a board meeting in a church and we've come up with our own plans and then we've said, now let's pray and ask God to bless these plans. And then we go out and all action. Let's get this program off the ground. Let's move this thing forward. Let's go. And much action can be done. And even results can occur. But it's not the result for the eternal kingdom of God. to accomplish something for the kingdom of God, we must be seasoned in the Holy Spirit. We must be filled and baptized in the Holy Spirit. And we must then trust in him for every step of the way and walk by faith. And so we cry out to God and he answers us. And part of what we learn walking in the desert is that we will die if we do not depend utterly, totally, and completely on our Lord Jesus Christ. He is who he says he is. And as we learn to wait upon him, as we learn to walk with him in that desert place, our heart is prepared for a Shekinah revelation of God. Now, we read that as Moses took his sheep to the far side, he looked up and he saw a bush that appeared to be burning. And yet he saw that the bush was not spreading its fire, He would have been frightened when he initially saw the fire. Fire would be very dangerous in that desert place to his sheep. But the fire is not spreading. The bush is not consumed. It's a thorn bush. A shrub bush. Maybe as tall as a man. The flames are burning. Moses says to himself, I'm going to turn aside and see this great sight. Why is this bush not burning up? Here was a wonder that all of the magicians of the Pharaoh could not have accomplished. This was literally the Shekinah glory of God. If you look at another passage of Scripture, and it's worth looking at, over in Deuteronomy, we find another place, the only other place, where the word bush is used. Let me read it for you. This is Moses blessing Joseph at the end of his life. Joseph's tribe, not Joseph, but Joseph's tribe. With the best gifts of the earth and its fullness and the favor of him who dwelt in the burning bush, let all these rest on the head of Joseph. Now, the word dwelt in the Hebrew is for Shekinah. The Shekinah dwelt in the bush. Now, I find he goes close to the bush, and as he's approaching it suddenly, out of the bush, out of the Shekinah glory of God, a voice calls to him, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Now, I need to say something about this. We do not step into ministry out of our own desire. Oh, well, that needs to be there. But there has to be an absolute knowing in our heart that we are called to that place, to that ministry, whatever that ministry is. When we come to the backside of the mountain, the backside of the desert, as Moses did, in preparation He must be called. And he's called by seeing the Shekinah glory of God. We need to have a revelation of the glory of God if we're ever going to be of use to the Lord God of heaven. If we're going to be of any use to Jesus, we must have a revelation of the Shekinah glory that he has. Now, this is the same Shekinah glory that dwelt on the mercy seat in the tabernacle that we'll speak about later. But remember, they also at night could see the Shekinah glory of God, the fire in the cloud. In the daytime, it was shielded by the cloud, but at night it was visible. And they knew God was with them. Now, this Shekinah glory of God is God's holiness. Fire represents judgment in the scriptures. But it's not just judgment. It's righteousness. It's holiness. It is God's actual characteristic. Holiness, righteousness. So, this Shekinah glory is burning. And, of course, the question is, if this is his judgment, if this is his righteousness, how can Moses stand in his presence? Because he's not a righteous man. He is righteous, but he's not. He's a human. Why is he not consumed? Because the Shekinah glory of God came and was on the cross. Jesus is the Shekinah glory of God. Moses was being prepared to take a people out of bondage. 2,000 years later, Jesus steps down from heaven. In his Shekinah glory, he goes on the cross to set a people free. Moses answers, Here I am. And God says to him, Do not come any closer. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. In other words, you're not going to be able to stand in the presence of God out of your own world experience, out of your education in Egypt. You're not going to be able to stand in the presence of Almighty God with human wisdom and human understanding. You are going to have to turn your back on human wisdom and understanding, and you are going to find that God's wisdom may be very obnoxious to you. The wisdom of God may cause great trouble for you in your life. may alienate people from you it may cause friends to desert you if you're going to follow jesus he has to be first and this was jesus speaking it is god but it is it is jesus we learn in the new testament that it was jesus who created the worlds in the beginning god in the beginning jesus we're told that in the gospel of john the first chapter we're told that in in colossians the first chapter we're told that in ephesians the first chapter jesus is god He says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He's saying, I am the God of the covenant. I am the God who made a covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob. You cannot understand who Jesus is if you don't understand that he operates by covenant. Jesus died on Calvary's tree because of covenant. We have the New Testament. We have the Old Testament. The word testament or covenant or cut are all the same. Cut meaning a cut made across the palm of a hand and clasping the cut hand of another so that the blood mixes is a blood covenant that can never be broken. And if it is broken, the person who breaks it must die. Jesus came, and he clasped hands with the Father. And they made a covenant before the creation of the world, Now we were all included in that covenant. But Adam broke the covenant. Jesus was representing the human race. And Adam broke the covenant. On the day you eat from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. The covenant was broken. Now we have Jesus coming and dying on the Calvary, the cross, because the covenant was broken, and he is the atoning lamb for the covenant. So here he stands in Shekinah glory, and Moses hides his face because he is afraid to look at God. I want to tell you, it is a terrifying thing to begin to come into the presence of God in righteousness and holiness. If you begin to understand the righteousness and holiness of God, all the levity will be gone. Any pastor who stands in front of his congregation and tells jokes and talks about the redskins or whomever, he doesn't understand who God is yet. He's full of levity and foolishness. He'll not be used by the Almighty. That levity quickly leaves when we begin to recognize, as Moses did, he is now standing in the presence of Shekinah glory. Now the Lord begins to speak. This is Exodus, the third chapter, verse 7. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned. This is the second time he has said, I am concerned. I am so grateful that God is concerned about you and about me. That causes great joy to rise up in my heart. I trust him. I totally for my life am dependent upon God. He says, I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. You notice, he says, I have come down to rescue them. He does not say I've come down to consider whether or not they're worth my rescuing. No, He is a God of covenant. He has a covenant with these people. He's not going to rescue them because they are worthy. He's not rescuing you from the world of sin because you're worthy. While we were yet sinners, He loved us. Your salvation is not at hand because you're better than somebody else. Your salvation comes because God intends to come and call you, and if you make the decision to follow him, and if you make the decision to surrender to him, and if you make the decision to be serious about Jesus, he has come to rescue you. He's come to transform you into his own likeness, so that when you see him, you will be like him. He has come to rescue you. He's concerned about you. He says to Moses, I've seen their suffering. I want to tell you today, God sees your suffering. And you can take that suffering and you can take that bitterness of heart, you can take that and you can go into your cave and you can feel bad, you can feel sorry for yourself, or you can rush out with the burden of that suffering and come to Jesus and by faith reach out and touch his garment and you will be healed. We walk by faith and not by sight. And so you have to decide, am I going to live in my cave? Or am I going to come in my nakedness? Or am I going to hide? Some of you have so hidden your feelings. You've so hidden your suffering. You've got to come out of that cave. Out of that addiction. Bring it all to Jesus. Bring it all and lay it out before him and tell him all about it. Share the pain and the anguish. Share the bitterness and the embarrassment. Share it all with Jesus. He's concerned about you. I have to tell you, I don't know how I could have survived what I've walked through if I didn't know beyond any question that God was concerned for me. That brings such hope to my heart, such love to my spirit, such joy in my, in my whole being. God is concerned for me. God is concerned for you today. He says, I have Come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. That's what God wants to do for you. God said, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people the Israelites out of Egypt. And Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Oh, he answered correctly this time, last time in his wisdom, in his education, in his strong abilities, in the very prime of life. He tried to do it his own way, and he utterly failed and had to run, and now has spent 40 years In the wilderness with sheep. He has settled down. He now considers the difficulties that he would face if he were to try again what he's already failed at. It's of great import that we live in reality and that we see the difficulties that we're facing. When I came to Washington, D.C., I thought, yes, revival can happen in this city. Yes, let's, let's evangelize. Let's win the lost for Jesus. And yes, a few have been won. But now I know God is going to send me once more to Washington and is even now on this radio broadcast sending me and I know that it will only be by the power of the Holy Spirit that anything is accomplished, that everything that is planted by the flesh at the end of time, Jesus said, would be pulled up and cast into the fire. That includes all the religious works of the flesh. I know... that we must stop and walk in reality and consider carefully what we are being called to. God said to him, I will be with you. Oh, do you understand? When God says, I will be with you. You have seen the Shekinah glory of God you may not have seen it with your physical eyes, but you have seen it in your spirit. You have seen in your spirit the reality of Jesus Christ. You have heard the call of the spirit in your heart. You have humbled yourself before him. You've given up Fantasia. You've given up the make-believe. You now have learned something about the way God operates in Covenant. Covenant now he calls you, and you say, Who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Who am I that I should think I could bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? I tried it. I failed. I can't do it. But God said now, I will be with you. We can do anything when God is with us. Nothing is too hard for God. No miracle is too hard for God. He said, this will be the sign to you that I that I was the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. I used to look at that and say, "Uh thank you, God, that's not very much of a sign. But I want to show you some. The whole book of Exodus is about redemption so that we can worship God. God wants to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt so they can worship him. God wants us. Have you ever felt like you were not wanted? Do you ever feel in your family like, they just don't want you? You're an embarrassment to them or, can I put it this way? One person said recently, I'm the black sheep of my family. Feel like you're not wanted. I can tell you now beyond any question, beyond any doubt, God wants you. Jesus wants you. You are of unestimable value to him. He wants you. He wants you to come and worship him on the mountain of God, on the backside of the mountain. He wants you to come and worship him, to humble your heart, to repent, to not be in a hurry to take your time to learn that precious lesson of waiting on God, to learn the precious lesson that only Jesus can carry you through. You can't do it on your own. You see, we foolishly think, oh, we can do this and we can do that, and there's much we have an ability and skill to do, and it's here and we can do it. Don't you understand? You're going to die. And what are you going to do when you're laying on that bed, breathing your last breaths, and you're dying? Then what are you going to do? You can't save yourself. You can't rescue yourself. You're dying, and your life is over. It's at an end. And now where will you spend eternity? Have you acknowledged that God wants you? Have you acknowledged and waited upon God? Have you learned that only God can carry you through this life, or are you still enamored by your own skills and your own ability, filled with pride and arrogance? Have you learned how to rest in Jesus? When you die, you're either going to be resting in Jesus or you're going to be strangling in the power of the devil and you will be sent to hell. It's that simple. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I tell them? That's a very good question. God does not rebuke him for asking that question. Instead, he gives a very straight answer. God said to Moses, I am who I am. I was, I am, I will be. The verb, to be. That's who God is. Self-existent. Eternal. That's who God is. This is the Jehovah. That is what you are to say to the Israelites. I, I am, has sent me to you. We use Lord. I am. I know what I am, and I am not I am. I know I'm a fallible human person. I know that I have sinned against Almighty God. But this God said, I am. I will be who I am. I am who I am. Now, you remember in John 6 and 7, Jesus comes saying, I am. I, I am. I am the bread of life. I am the gate. He is the I am. What glory. What glory that Jesus is our I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. He is being told to go in the authority and the power of God, that God will go with him. God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. This is my name forever. The name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. Go assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt, and I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt to a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Now, chapter 4, Moses says, What if they do not believe me or listen? The Lord God, in verse 18 and on, in verse 16, he says, They will listen to you. But now Moses directly counters God to his face. He disagrees with God to his face. It's so easy to become accustomed to religious things that we think we can even disagree with God. Remember, John the Baptist did the same thing with Jesus. Jesus came and said, I have to be baptized, John. And John did everything he could to deter him saying, no, 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 you can't. Remember Peter? No, Jesus, you can't go to the cross. And Jesus had to say, get behind me, Satan. The heart of man is so filled with pride, even after 40 years on the backside of the desert, and Moses is called the humblest man on the earth. Well, we're going to end the study there. I'm going to come back and pick it up in chapter 4. Please read ahead, chapter 4, 5. I want to close by saying, I hope you've heard the message today. God loves you. And he's going to train you in the school of the Holy Spirit if you will submit, so that you could be useful to him. He's concerned for you. Are you willing to make those hard choices and hard decisions to turn away from Egypt and Pharaoh and the world's applause? Are you willing to humble your heart and run with all of your brokenness to Jesus? Well, that's it for today. Please, if you'd like to donate to the work of God, the work of the gospel, Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. Click on the Donate button and it will, if you follow it carefully, it will take you to the PayPal. You can also write to me, the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. My brother, my sister, I love you. God bless you. Thank you for listening today.